all for attending this event. Georgetown University is committed to the promotion of speech and expression that fosters the maximum exchange of ideas and opinions. Ms. Darwish has, upon invitation, made presentations at numerous great universities where free speech is revered, and we are pleased to have her here tonight to do the same. While it is recognized that not everyone here will share the same views as the speaker, and that some will vehemently disagree with them, it is expected that all in attendance tonight will respect the right of the speaker to share her perspective with all of us. At the conclusion of the presentation, there will be a question and answer session, during which those in attendance will be free to ask searching and challenging questions to our speaker. Ms. Darwish is at our university today not because she believes that the audience will unquestionably share and adopt all of her ideals, but with an expectation that some of her views will be dissected and questioned. And that's what we believe the very point of free speech in an academic setting is. There will also be a book signing on the right um, at the conclusion of the question and answer period, so feel free to stick around for that. Now to introduce the speaker, Ms. Darwish is here today to discuss her recently published book entitled Wholly Different, Why I Chose Biblical Values Over Islamic Values. And for the first time, she will tell her story of her personal break with Islam, starting with the brutal, brutal physical violence and rigid class system she witnessed, and culminating with a spine-tingling visit she received from President Nasser after her father, Fedayeen Commander Mustafa Hayez, was assassinated by the Israeli Defense Forces. Ms. Darwish was born in Cairo, Egypt, and raised in the Muslim faith, and as a former journalist and advocate for women's rights in the Middle East, she's the author of two additional books. As a note, the GCR Executive Board seat at the front of this room does not necessarily endorse the views of the speaker. However, we feel privileged to be able to invite speakers from all backgrounds who may challenge us due to their different and often controversial perspectives in the pursuit of free speech. We hope that you too can recognize that privilege and the importance of the facility to hear and discuss views that may not necessarily reflect our own. So with that, let's give a warm welcome to Ms. Darwish. Pleasure to be here. Today was a lovely, lovely day in the morning, and suddenly it's raining. But uh, I'm really enjoying being here today. I want to talk to you about my brand new book, Holy Different: Why I Chose Biblical Values Over Islamic Values. And I just want to stress that I'm not speaking about people, because there's good and bad in, in every culture. Also, there is no culture without goodness. Every culture has good, good and evil. So I want to establish this first before I start speaking about uh, the topic I'm speaking about. So it's not about people, it's about values and ideologies. And I hope we all agree that no ideology, no religion should be above questioning. We, we have to question if, if we're human, we have to question. So the West is very eager to show goodwill and towards uh, the, all religions. And that is something I commend the West for, that we want to be inclusive of all religions. And we're ready to make a real effort to settle the cultural differences that have divided people from different religious backgrounds. And that is a wonderful thing. The West, Western values are very different, however, from Islamic values. Biblical values are very different from Islamic values. So what is, what is it that uh, 
Many in the West assume that Islamic threat to the West is only in the form of terrorism, radicalism. They call it radicalism, ISIS. But they don't look beyond that. And what I'm looking here is I'm looking at the value system, the criteria upon which the Islamic culture looks at good and evil. And what Western culture, biblical values, call good and evil. The criteria, and it doesn't mean that we all, even if we call ourselves whatever tab you want to give, nobody is 100%. We're not even 100% good or bad. So, um, that, I wrote my fourth, my fourth book, wholly different, why I chose biblical values over Islamic values, to lay out the full scope of the differences between biblical values and Islamic values. When I moved to the United States 38 years ago, I went to a mosque in Los Angeles, and I still consider myself a Muslim, but I never wore a head cover in Egypt, because at that time, nobody wore a head and I was told by the mosque that I have to wear the Islamic uh, clothes. And I was told, don't assimilate. Don't assimilate in American values. And then my, the way I felt is, by nature, everybody, you, you choose a country to live in, and you want to assimilate. It's something that you do naturally. And in fact, not to assimilate in a culture takes more effort than to assimilate. And because of that, I just stopped going. Because I just wanted to be an American. Why did I, why did I come here in the first place? So I, uh, I, I, didn't, I didn't do any, I didn't go to anything, church or mosque or anything. I just existed. And what, what I started feeling in America are the values are very different. Just even the values on the street in America. You don't have to be in a church to see that life in America is different. Why is life different in America? Why do people in America stand in line and wait for their turn? Why in a country where I come from, people step on each other to get what they want. They don't even stand in line. Why? I had all these questions in my mind. Just going to a supermarket and seeing a young teenager working and saying, good morning, can I help you? May I help you? Very different from where I come from. And then I started seeing the actual differences in, in, the, in the churches. I wasn't a, a Christian then, but I was flipping channels one Sunday morning. And I saw a priest saying, we're all sinners. In Islam, we, when you read the Quran, sinners are non-Muslims. They are all sinners. We are Muslims. We're innocent. They are not innocent. 
a very different concept from we're all sinners, we're all equally sinful. What a comforting feeling I had when I heard that in America. Very different. Life is sacred under being companions. And it, when I heard this concept, it immediately hit me. When I was living in Gaza, everybody was saying death is worship. We, are, we love death and they, they love life. We love death. Very, just the opposite, the opposite of what I grew up with. Redemption from sin. The Bible tells us we have to admit our sin in order to be redeemed and healed and forgiven. We have to admit sin. We have to confess our sin. There's nothing called go confess your sin under Islamic values. In fact, there are many hadiths, and I listed them in my book, by Muhammad that command Muslims to conceal your sin. So here's a culture that conceal your sin, and culture confess your sin. Confess it to everybody. It's the first step to healing. I like that. We're guided by the Holy Spirit. Our decision-making as Christians, as in the Bible, we're guided by a spirit from God. Whatever you want to call it. You want to call it Holy Spirit, God, whatever. But we're guided inwardly by a value system that came to us spiritually. In Islam, we are guided by human pressure around us who has no problem to terrorize us into compliance. Fear. We're guided by fear. Fear of judgment, fear of society, and fear of terror. Very harsh punishments under Islam. Physical punishments, humiliation, abandonment by family, cutting of limbs, honor killing. These are all ways of making people comply. Jesus came, came down to save us humans. We the sinners are worthy of being saved. Under Islamic values, we have to save Allah and Muhammad's reputation from being slandered. So, if you're a Muslim, you have to watch. If anybody touches any, any kind of insult or criticism, like we feel it now, oh, I hope she doesn't say anything to insult Islam. If I was giving a lecture about Judaism or Christianity, most of you will feel more at ease because there is no taboo in the Bible against self-criticism. In Islam, we have a terrible taboo about self-criticism. In fact, we cannot criticize, and the punishment, the highest punishment under Islam is not for murder. Number one punishment under Islam is for people who do blasphemy, and that means criticism of Muhammad. Under Islamic law, blasphemers will be executed even if they repent. That is not my opinion. 
open the Sharia books, you will find that. Everything I'm telling you now is under Sharia. These are the laws. I'm not inventing them. I'm just comparing them with what American value system. And by the way, biblical values in America are everywhere. Even among people in America who are who call themselves atheists, or even people who are hostile to the Bible. I go and visit, and I have a lot of American friends who are very liberal, who even criticize the Bible. They go into their homes, and their values that they live by are biblical values. The values of our Constitution are biblical values. And it gives order in our life. It gives uh, stability. We take turn. And that's, that's wonderful. Jesus died for us. That's a biblical value. And by the way, I'm not giving you a lecture about the Bible here. I'm just comparing values. Okay? I'm not trying to preach the, the gospel here. Okay. Because these values are in us, whether we like it or not. So when you have a God, under the Bible that calls himself, I am coming down to earth to die for your sin, to make you free, and, give, and to rid you of your guilt. What, what a liberating feeling. Because in Islam, we must die for Allah. Predominantly, all the, the Quran is all about doing jihad. What is jihad? What is jihad? I'll give you the definition from the Sharia books. Open the Sharia books, the definition is to war with non-Muslims to establish the religion. War. You have to, and it's said in the Quran, you have to kill and be killed. To kill and be killed. This is jihad. For who? Why? Who are we trying to kill and be killed under Islam? The Kafir. Who are the Kafir? Definition of Kafir. And this is all from Islamic books. I'm not inventing it. The Kafir are people who are not Muslim. In fact, some sects of Islam call each other Kafir. The Shiites call the Sunni Kafir, and the Sunni calls Shiites Kafir. So it's a lot more than just being a, not a Muslim. The population of the Kafir in the world is a lot bigger than Muslims. And what is the duty of the good Muslim who wants to conduct jihad? His duty is to kill the Kafir or convert them. You have to convert them or kill them. That's the definition of jihad. Or, in some cases, only Jews and Christians can live as dhimis under Islamic governments. So this is a very important thing, which is Jesus died for us, and we have to die for Allah. These people who are flying airplanes into buildings truly believe they are doing Allah, Allah's command. And it is written all over Islamic scriptures. So who? who which God do you want to live under? The one who dies for you, to liberate you? Or the one who wants you to die, killing his human enemies? 
devil. The Bible is not is at war also, but it's not at war with flesh and blood. This is written in the in the Bible. We are not at war with flesh and blood. We are at war with the devil. We are at war with sin. Very different. In Islam, we are at war with actually flesh and blood. Totally different concept, totally different look at the world. The world is divided between humans who should be killed and humans who should, who should, who should not be killed. Very different. Fear not. Under Islam, fear is a tool of enforcement. Show them fear. And it says in the Quran, strike terror in the hearts of the unbelievers. I'm not, this quotation is not my invention. If you defy, if you disagree, at the end, uh, you can ask me a question and say, this is not a statement in the Quran. It is in the Quran. Strike terror in the hearts of the un unbelievers. So use fear against your enemies. Children of God, we, have, we consider God in the Bible as our father. In Islam, we are the slave of Allah. The name Abdullah is the most famous name in Islam, and it means slave of Allah. The way we relate to God is not the same way uh, people who believe in the Bible relate to God. He, he is... He is not our father. Understand? He is not our father. Changing yourself is a value under the Bible. Con Self-control is a value of the Bible. Actually, the seven deadly sins, the last one is and self-control. Pride, envy, anger, lust, and self-control. These are the seven uh, deadly sins. So, it's the Bible, wherever you open, whatever page, it's all about self-control. All about self-control. In Islam, it's about changing others, controlling others. The values of Islam is not about self-changing, but about changing others. Imposing Sharia on them, making them good, making them change, not changing myself. Prayer is for all. You hear a lot of Christians say, I pray for you. First thing I heard when I came to America, I was very touched when my neighbor, my, my, uh, my little baby son at that time was sick and I was very worried I was a new mom. And, and she told me, oh, I pray for him. I pray for you. And I was like, wow, I've never heard that in the Middle East. A concept of I pray for you. Because under Islamic law, Muslims are not supposed to pray for non-Muslims. So here's a Christian woman who's praying for, at that time I thought I was a Muslim, who's praying for a Muslim woman sincerely. And it touched me a lot. So prayers in the Bible is for everybody. You can pray for anybody, no limitation. Under Islam, you can only pray for Muslims not non-Muslims. In fact, after the terror attack in Belgium recently, they asked uh, an imam in Belgium, they asked him, 
would you like to pray? Because he said, oh, I object to terrorism. He said, would you like to pray for the victims of the terrorism in Belgium? And I will tell you what the Imam said. He said, I cannot pray for the victims of the terror by a Muslim because it's against Sharia. I cannot pray for non-Muslims. And check it, check it, Google it. Uh, an imam, Google it. A Muslim imam in Belgium after the terror attack refused to pray for the victims of the terror attack in Belgium. So vengeance is the Lord's. That's a quote from the, from the Bible. Vengeance is mine. In Islam, vengeance is prescribed for Muslims. So Islam gave the right to the average Muslim to take vengeance on God's behalf, Allah's behalf, to do his vengeance for him on earth. And that's why under Islamic law, under Sharia law, there is a law that specifically says Muslim, a Muslim will not be prosecuted, will not be prosecuted for murdering an apostate or an adulterer. This is a law, a religious law, like the Ten Commandments. Very, very different. Why? Because Islam gives the right to vigilante street justice against certain people or certain behaviors. Forgiveness is never to the Kafir. You don't forgive the Kafir. That's why we can never forgive Arabs, can never forgive the state of Israel. Never. If you say, I want to forgive and forget, I want to establish peace with Israel, you have to be killed. And that's why President Anwar Sadat was assassinated because he signed a, a really peace treaty with Israel and he meant it. That's why he was assassinated. So forgiving the enemies of Allah, the enemies of Allah can never be forgiven under Islamic values. Work ethic. There was a sheikh, famous sheikh, Karadawi, and he said that we don't produce, he was actually giving a preaching, preaching a lecture, and you can Google it. Sheikh Karadawi criticized the work ethic under Islam. Google that if you can if you don't believe me someone. And he said, in the Muslim world, we're not producing anything. We import everything from the needle to the rocket, to the airplane. We don't produce anything. We don't have work ethics. He was giving a preaching. And I will quote you, he said this, I will quote you from a hadith by Muhammad. He said, you have to do everything very perfectly, especially when you kill jihad, you have to, to do it right. That was his best example he could think of. Yes. Kill perfectly. He didn't say produce perfectly, build perfectly. Um, invent, whatever, to kill perfectly. So, love, uh, God loves us all. Allah in Islam hates 
non-Muslims. And this is in the Quran. I hate non-Muslims. The God of the Quran hates. He hates whole groups of people whom he calls his enemies, and he's assigned Muslims to kill these people. So Islam is really a covenant of war, while the Bible is a covenant of peace. There is a very, very important thing about Islamic values that really causes a lot of trouble for Islamic society. And that is, Islam has to control government. It has to control, under Islamic law, any government has to be ruled by a Muslim, and it has to be governed by Sharia law. Why are there many rebellions, assassinations, and revolutions in Islamic, the Islamic world? All the time. Even during after Muhammad, during the Khilafah, it, they were all assassinating each other. They were all killing each other. Shall I tell you why there are so many revolutions? Because nobody considers the leader Muslim enough. They are never Muslim enough. So Sharia says, if your Khalifa is not applying Sharia perfectly, you have a duty to, to remove him from office. And how do you remove him from office? Do you wait till his term is, is finished and uh, you just don't elect him anymore? Is that the Islamic way? No, 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 no. You remove him from office by force. And by the way, this is a Sharia law. There are three ways for a Muslim head of state to come to power. And number three is to, through seizure of power, meaning through force, which can include assassination. This is a law in Islam. Very different from biblical values, very different from Western values. So Egypt, for instance, which is supposed to be a moderate country, had a 1919 revolution, 1952 revolution, 2011 revolution, 2013 counter-revolution, and still going. Why? Why are they having so, how many revolutions does a country need to straighten out its way? Well, under Islam, they give the public the authority to remove any leader by force at any time if he does not follow Sharia. That is a detrimental law in Sharia. And that is the reason they have revolutions and counter-revolutions all the time, very unstable governments. If you check all the leaders in the Middle East, all the heads of states, they either came after a revolution or after the assassination of the previous leader, or the, other, the previous leader just died. That, that's how they come to office. And, and, this, is, and this is how, how it is. That's why they have unstable governments. Nobody can rely on an Arab or Islamic government. Why? Because it can be taken out in a second. You can make a deal with them, the West can make a deal with them, and it's, it's over the next day by an assassination or uh, a revolution or a coup d'etat. So uh, Christianity, uh, 
this is very, very different from the, the, the way that the, the, the country is, the structure of society, the political structure, the social structure, is totally different. And that is very important for the stability of any country. Government in the biblical, uh, biblical land is, serves the people. In Islamic country, the people serve the government. The caliphate, what is the caliphate? The famous word, the caliphate. The caliphate is a country that is ruled by Islam, by a Muslim head of state, by Sharia, and that, God, that should govern all Muslim lands. That's a caliphate. And it cannot ever have uh, peace with non-Muslim countries. That's the caliphate. Its, it's an enemy is non-Muslim countries. And caliphates are ruled by Allah, by Allah's law. So can you criticize a caliphate? an Islamic government if it's ruled by Sharia? Ah, uh -uh, no. It's written in the Sharia books. You have to live under an Islamic state and as long as the leader is ruled by Sharia, you are not allowed to criticize him or to rebel against him. Or you have to be obedient. Total obedience is expected in the Islamic state. You cannot criticize the Islamic State. Another major, major problem also in the, in the Islamic is the family, the structure of the family. Under Islamic, Islam, the values of Islam is, number one is jihad. Everybody sacrificed for, for jihad. The man has to die from jihad. The women have to be oppressed. Why? Why are women oppressed in us in Islam? Because her role, number one, is to support is to support jihad. And to even ask her husband to become a jihadist. That's a good wife under Islamic law. So everything is sacrificed for jihad. Men are sacrificed for jihad. Women are sacrificed. The whole family is sacrificed for jihad. And sometimes, in some extreme cases, they put they on the little children. You, you, they, they, they put suicide bombs on them and take them to the enemy because everybody is sacrificed for jihad. Feminism in Islam. Who are the women who are prominent under Islamic in a Muslim country? These are the women who wear their hijab with pride, very proud of their hijab. I'm holier than thou. And they defend Sharia completely. They defend polygamy. They, they tell the man you have the right. If you want to have a, a four wives, it's your right under religious law. These are the women who, who say, who stand in front of the You've seen it in front of the cameras. You've seen women say, I am the mother of the Shaheed, and I will give all the rest of my kids to the Jihad. Are these women crazy? No, they probably go 
their home and cry. But the problem is, that's the kind of woman Islam looks up to. This is the value, what a good woman is. So, in Islam, Islamic feminism are women who are respected in society. Under Islamic femi feminism, they are pro-establishment. In the West, the secular feminists are anti-establishment. Totally opposite. Western feminists and Islamic feminists are totally opposite. Anti-establishment, pro-establishment. Anti-religion, pro-religion. And they came together recently in some of these, uh, uh, you know, protests against Trump. And they are, they, are, they are chanting the same tune, unfortunately. So, and now we are seeing why has all this happened? Why was Islam has values that are opposite to biblical values? Where did this come from? How did this happen? Aren't they supposed to be Abrahamic religion? Aren't they supposed to be all Abraham? Islam claims to be an Abrahamic religion. So isn't it supposed to come to confirm Islam came 600 years after the, the Bible? 600 years after Christ, Islam came. And where did the first cultural clash happen between Islam and the West? Between Islam, I mean, and the Bible. It did not happen between Europe and the Middle East. The first cultural clash happened between Islam and the Bible inside the Middle East in the 7th century. How did it happen? Islam came as a rebellion against the Bible. Islam came as a rebellion against biblical values. Islam was a rebellion against the Ten Commandments. It was also, it called the Bible, it has been uh, corrupted by Jews and Christians. So, Islam regards the Bible as a corrupt book. This is all over the Quran, by the way. And Muhammad came with a book with opposite values to the Bible and called it the correction of the Bible with opposite values to the Bible. Thank you so much, and I will uh, take a few questions maybe and then sign my book. Hi everyone, I'm Peter Hamilton, the Director of Membership for Georgia University College Republicans. We're now going to move into a question and answer period. Just a couple of reminders, uh, please keep your questions concise and respectful. Um, state your name and Georgia affiliation, um, if uh, adequate and proper. Um, Alright, so now moving on to our first... Alright, uh, yeah, yeah, you can pick the question. Alright, um, I will hold the microphone for you guys and just bring it around to each of you. Hi, my name is Naz. Um, I'm a college student here. I'm a junior. Okay. Um, so I actually have a few questions. I don't know what's going on. Let's start with one. Okay. One by one, too. Yes. Okay. Okay, so I know you quoted um, 
actually you made quite a few statements without adequate, I believe what is uh, adequate verses from the Quran. I didn't hear any direct quotes from the Quran and I was wondering. I don't have the Quran with me, but I, I have it all in my book. Mm -hmm. Everything I said here. I haven't completed my I question. have the references all in my book. Yeah, my question though. Um, I believe you went to school in Egypt. Uh, yeah, but what? You, you changed the subject now. No, no, but my question. Are you going to ask me about my school in Egypt or quotations from the Quran? No, no, but I am misrepresented. One by one, please. Yes, my question that I still have to get to is that I was waiting for you to back up your claims um, with verses from the Quran. And because you're making such wide claims about Islam, about the Quran, um, I was what, wondering. What is it that I said I was, specifically? I was wondering. Do you have um, any educational background on Islam? I don't want to have any education on Islam. You don't want any education? I don't want any education. So you don't have any education under an Islamic scholar? I've got education Can I please ask my question? Yeah, for so, two years. So you don't have any education under an Islamic scholar? You don't have any Islamic background? That is my question. Do you have any Islamic? No, I don't want to. Thank you. Next. Okay. Today and they've organized a separate event. So my question is, do you have anything to say to them? Um, and what do you say to people who are generally offended when you do speak across the country? Uh, people are, are have a right to be offended and not attend. Uh, that's, that's the American way. I have no problem with that at all. As long as they don't cross the line of uh, being doing anything illegal or hazardous. hazardous. I have no problem with it. I would have liked them to come and ask me questions, and but be specific. Uh, like for instance, you said the, a wrong quote about the Quran, and this is what you said, and uh, this is the correct one. And I'm, I'm perfectly willing to say, yeah, I'm sorry, I made a wrong quotation. So uh, I'm not afraid of challenging questions at all. Yes, the gentleman. And then the people. Um, so, uh, my name is Richard Howell, uh, sophomore in the SFS. Do uh, so you claim that you know that uh, Islamic regimes, in particular, use fear and physical punishment to keep people in line, and that's a, a value specific to Islam? And though perhaps you know we don't see this a lot in a lot of modern Christian states during you know many different eras. Uh, under the Catholic Church with the Inquisition, during the Thirty Years' War, different Protestant Catholic groups, there was a lot of religious violence and a lot of uh, a lot of torture because of you know perceived heresies and whatnot. Um, so, how would you respond to a, a question about you know if if would those or you know a lot of times this violence was justified in the Bible or they used the Bible to justify this violence? So, would you claim that you know? The Bible doesn't advocate for those violent acts, or that it was a, how would you how would you justify the fact that such violence? That's a very exist? good question. Uh, Jesus himself, I never heard uh, 
anything in the Bible that showed Jesus used physical punishment. In fact, Jesus, uh, when people were stoning a woman, he said he had practically ended the ended the idea of stoning of women for for uh, sexual misconduct. So. The message of the Bible was against physical harm uh, of women, especially. And there are no messages really in the Bible or the Ten, the Ten Commandments. Is there any in anything in the Ten Commandments that command Jews and Christians to um, kill or hurt or flog or amputate the limbs of, let's let's say, thieves? These are actual laws in Sharia law, and Muhammad actually killed with his own hand. And he sent people to kill people for him. He authorized the killing of many people, thousands of people. And people who followed Muhammad did the same thing. So the, the Bible itself never, never promoted the idea of amputating limbs, killing people. Uh, vengeance is mine, actually, in the Bible. Yes, there are Christians, bad Christians are good Christians, and there are bad Muslims are good Muslims. But the word bad and good differs from this religion and that religion. I hope that answers you. Yes, this gentleman. Thank you. So, hi, I'm David. I'm a freshman in the college. Um, uh, so thank you for coming and welcoming all our diverse viewpoints. Um, uh, but you said that the Bible does not uh, call for stoning or flogging or killing anything in the Ten Commandments. But in, in, uh, in the Bible, there's actually more than Ten Commandments. And I just like to quote from uh, the book of Deuteronomy, for example, I have it right here. If there be found among you with any of thy gates which the Lord uh, gives you, man or woman that has wrought wickedness in the sight of the law, and has gone and served at other gods, and worshipped them which I have not commanded, blah, 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 then you shall bring forth that man or that woman under thy gates, and shall stone them with stones until they die. And here's uh, another book, uh, also from Deuteronomy. If your very own brother, or your son or daughter, or the wife you love, or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, do not yield to them or listen to them. Do not spare, spare them or shield them. You must certainly push, put them to death. The Bible also says... That's all the Old Testament? Jesus. I understand. But Jesus came and ended these laws. Jesus came and ended these laws. He... How many rabbis do that? Or how many, how many priests uh, give sermons about killing or hurting? Yeah, I, I'm telling you, Jesus came and ended, uh, ended, ended hatred. He said, love your enemy. If he said, love your enemy, who are you going to punish? If your enemy you have to love. How about uh, uh, treat your neighbor as you want to be treated? That's a value in the Bible. There is no, no value like that in Islam. There's nothing called treat your neighbor as you want to be treated under Islam. Very big difference. Between Islam and the Bible. Hi. I just had a question. Um, when 
when the Muslim people come over here, women, I'm going to say specifically, why, are, why do they not accept the Western culture? Why are they, I, I don't know, that, that's, that's kind of, you know, that kind of, kind of is an Actually, it is in the Sharia. Uh, it's in Sharia. Sharia does not want Muslims to assimilate in the, the Kafir culture. It calls it the Kafir. Kafir is a very derogatory name for non-Muslims. And they think they are living in actually evil. It's a, they are evil doers. They are evil livers. They call them evil livers. They live in sin. And so when they move to the land of non-Muslims, called Ladar al-Harb. Dar al-Harb means land of war. So you're supposed to actually do war. And you have to preserve your values preserve, uh, never assimilate. This is all in the laws of Sharia. And reject novelty. Reject bid'ah. It's called in the Sharia books bid'ah. Any Muslim leader who incorporates Western bid'ah, which is a novelty, inside Islamic countries will be assassinated. And that's why Kamala Turk, who brought in Western values to Turkey, uh, he is now considered by Islamists the, the most, uh, he's an he's a apostate. Hi, um, my name is Aida, I'm first year in the, the university. Um, I'd just like to, well as a Muslim, I think I have some of the same qualms that Nas did that uh, there are some things that I would like a little clarity for. One thing that I heard in particular was your definition of jihad as War, That's not my definition. Actually, I have, I have a definition, which is quite different. If you, if I can read it. Okay. okay. What book are you opening now? This is a hadith narrated on Hadith? The yes. There are many opposite hadiths. Don't give me a hadith. I want the definition from Sharia books. Open a Sharia book and give me the definition per Sharia. I'm sorry. If, I mean, Sharia is built on hadith. Yeah, and Quran. And the actual actions of Muhammad. Yeah. It's not just built on hadith. I mean, one thing that I'm worried about is that. And did you did you open the Sharia books? Uh, for, I mean, yeah. Reliance of the traveler. Go to the index. Put jihad and read what that. What's it? If I can read my definition. That's fine. You can read your definition. It's about the internal struggle, self-analysis. Yes. Okay. So it says the Prophet peace be upon him came back from what is of his military campaigns, saying to the soldiers. Uh, you have come forth in the best way of coming forth. You have come from the smaller jihad to the greater jihad. They said, and what is the greater jihad? You replied, the striving of Allah's servants against their idle desires. Therefore, jihad is defined more as struggle, not the more common, I guess, perception of it, at least in the West, of being holy war. That's not an accurate definition. That's not jihad okay. that long. Have you read the whole Quran? I think they don't. Well, you should. Yeah. You should read the whole Quran. I I, I'm talking to her. Not you. One by one. Okay, 96% when the word jihad is mentioned in the Quran, it means war. 3% it means the word jihad. 3%. So you're talking about 3% now of the interpretation of jihad. 3%. I agree with you. This was said. This is a hadith. But you're ignoring the commandment from Muhammad for his followers on his deathbed, when he said, go kill the Jews wherever you find them, and if they hide behind the rock and a tree, 
The rock and the tree will tell you, O oh, Muslim, O oh, servant of Allah, there's a Jew behind me, come and kill him. How about that? That's another hadith. That's why I'm telling you, don't, don't quote me hadith. Quote me the Sharia books, the law books, the actual law. Yes, the gentleman. I suppose my question would be, why are you so obsessed with Sharia as such? Uh, I know many Muslims, I research them as my job, uh, many of them don't really care that much about Sharia in their daily lives, even if they're very devout. Uh, you know, it's not that they reject it necessarily, but it's not the main lens they use to approach everything. So why is this uh, sort of obsession with this one aspect of the religion, especially treating it as a monolith, as though there's only one of them? Excellent question. Why do I care about Sharia? What's the big deal? The big deal is 54 countries around the world, their constitution is built on Sharia. Thank God you don't have it here in America, and the Muslims who live in America don't live by Sharia, even though some try to get away with some Sharia laws here. Honor killing has happened in America. Do you disagree with this? That there is honor killing that happened in the West? Well, of course, men have been beating their wives in this country since long before oh, there were absolutely. Muslims around. Of course, of course. Beat and women beat and everything. And there's tra crime exists in every society. I'm not talking about crime here. I'm talking about a religious obligation to kill your children. And there is a law in Sharia, actually. Again, I'm not obsessed with Sharia. I'm just telling you what the law says. I'm not, Parents and grand this is a law, by the way, of Sharia. Parents and grandparents will not be prosecuted for killing their offspring. This is a Sharia law. And why does it exist? And it's still on the books. It still exists to exempt any parent from killing their 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 honor killing of their children. And it's it's a law. A law is not a joke. A law is not a joke. If, if uh, President Obama or President, it doesn't matter, Bush, uh, Republican or Democrat, creates a law and, uh, and the Congress approves it. And he says in that law, if you leave, uh, if you don't become a Republican, you will be killed. And you're going to tell me here, sit and who cares? We don't care about it. So this is exactly what you're telling me. Don't care about laws. I have a law in Egypt today that will put me to death because I left Islam. It is the law of Sharia to kill apostates. It's not a joke for me. It's my life. Yes. You mentioned how um, the Kurdish Muslim women in the, who come to the United States are not assimilating, or you've also mentioned that the Turk is a... Apostate, but how do you reconcile like those claims kind of, that seem quite absolute with facts such as like Muslim Americans have the second highest education level of any religious group, or that the majority of the Turkish population has both a po positive view about a Turk and is also considers themselves a practicing Muslim? So you're saying first questions about uh, assimilation of women here? Well, there's a lot of assimilated Muslim women in America. I'm not saying all of them. Muslim, Muslims who come to America don't assimilate? Of course not. There's a lot who assimilated. But there's a preacher somewhere in some mosque saying don't assimilate. You know the mayor of London, his name is Khan, he's a Muslim. When he visited 
the United States just a few months ago. He gave a speech. Did anyone hear, hear the speech? In his speech, he told American Muslims, do not assimilate. Do not assimilate. This is the mayor of London coming to visit a foreign country and telling the Muslim population of that foreign country not to assimilate. Check it in your Google. And uh, what was the second question? I'm sorry. It was about um, like how the majority of Turkish people vote are educated. Actually, it's Muslims stress. That's one of the good things about Islam. By the way, there's a lot of virtues in Islamic society. And I said well, at the beginning of my talk that goodness, there's goodness in every society. There's education. In some Islamic countries, there's value for education. Not all Muslim countries, though. Like in uh, Afghanistan, they don't want girls to be educated. In the old days, they didn't want girls to be educated. But frankly, when I came to America, my neighbors, most of my American neighbors were not college graduates. Me and all my sisters are college graduates, and I came from Egypt with my college degree. So you're right. There is a lot of value for education in the Middle East. Not all countries, though. That, that the lady there. Uh, you. Hi. Thank you so much for being here tonight. My name is Stella. I'm a writer and uh, an interested citizen. And I think, to me, it seems that the real story here is shutting down conversation. Exactly. Uh, I walked here, I hadn't been on Georgetown campus for a while, but it was a really oppressive feeling. I mean, just trying to come into this talk, I had somebody give me, make sure that I got a flyer for the other competing event that I'm assuming, you know, it came with a uh, biography of you and all of the, you know, the just slamming you, and, uh, and even this young lady here tried to direct me to the other event. So it seems to me um, that the real story, and perhaps it's reflected in Sharia law, which is really the overturning of the rule of law. I mean, we're talking Absolutely. about... Absolutely. It, it's about uh, getting rid of the rule of law so that we have uh, law, law, by law by whoever anoints the people. Whoever, whoever yells so my question, my question for you is, um, how often does this sort of thing happen to you just when you want to have a conversation? Uh, uh, that's what's reflected. That's the real story in my yes, view. Exactly. Um, it's very sad that I came to America after suffering 30 years life under Sharia law. Oppression under Sharia law. I come to America and the far left in America calls me names. They call me Islamophobe, and they call me racist. And uh, what's racist about it? Muslims come in all kinds of races. I, why do they call me racist? Why do they want to silence me? I've been silenced all my life as a Muslim in the Middle East. I couldn't open my mouth without being oppressed, terribly oppressed, and uh, threats on your life. And the people who claim in America that they are for freedom and democracy and give me my freedom and we are women. But what, how about the women who escaped Sharia? Nobody talks about them. I have a death warrant on my head in 54 countries, Muslim countries. 
and yeah, and they are telling me how dare and how dare I speak against Sharia in this. Don't you know that Muslims in America don't care about it? How dare you speak about Sharia? Because it is the law in all the countries. I will be beheaded and go to jail if, if I visit Sharia. Yes. Um, okay, so the college. Um, so one of so one of the things you just said, you said that you know Muslims come in all races, and I thought that was interesting because uh, just kind of like trying to paraphrase some of the things you brought up. Obviously, you're you know the Egyptian American background, and uh, you know you talked about a lot of things kind of from the you know, Middle Eastern Arab perspective. But there was there was a point there was a thing that you said earlier when you were talking about Israel, and you said basically that because Muslims can't ever trust or reconcile with Kafirs that thus the no Arabs forgiveness. No forgiveness. forgiveness. And, no forgiveness. And thus Arabs can never reconcile with Israel, which for me is permanent like, animosity. Yeah, but 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 that's my point. Like you're 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 yeah, so so my question basically is you're you're making this conflation between Arabs and Muslims as if they're the same thing. And also presuming that there are that all Arabs are that that, that there aren't Muslims of any other race yeah. or nationality. So what I'm saying is obviously there are many more Muslims not in the Arab world. Of course, we all know that. That's basic, really. Indonesia is much bigger and has more Muslim population than any yeah, other. Yeah, or even India. Yeah. India no, that's a, that's that's we're, we're all in college here. We know what I mean. But no, but that's my point. So then, why is it that you're making these assumptions about Islam in sort of an Arab context that there are so many Muslims in the world who don't even live under Sharia? No, they live under Sharia. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh yes. Have you seen? Have you seen uh, what happens to uh, people who leave Islam in Indonesia, in in Afghanistan, in Pakistan, in India? Same thing. Same thing. Yes, the gentleman here. Because I'm trying to pick people that are right. not. Um, hi, my name is Henry Green. I'm a sophomore uh, in the college here, and. So you spoke on assimilation. You said it was not something that's sinister, and you said that it's a natural phenomenon. I was just wondering if you could talk or speak or uh, express any opinions on laws that encourage assimilation. For example, in France, with the burqa ban or banning the public display of um, religious activity um, for Muslims in France um, and in other places around the world. Religious activities, only the food burqa in France. For safety, and I think this should be international. It should not be only in France. Anybody who, because of the problem of terrorism now, we cannot have people uh, with a mask running around. Security purposes, not for religious purposes. I am one Yes, the, the gentleman with the eyeglasses. Uh, hi, my name is Yafet Nagarshan, a sophomore in the college. Uh, first of all, thank you for being here. Uh, my question is, what is the um, what is the Quranic um, foundation, if there is any, for um, for Muslims? Um, of opposition to having cartoons of, of Prophet Muhammad being drawn, or uh, any kind, any form of satirization of, of the religion, is, if there is any. Yeah, there is a law. It's called the blasphemy law. If you can look it up under, are you are you? Do you read Arabic or no? no? And there is uh, the Sharia books. I there are they are also in English translated. And there is a if you look up blasphemy. What is blasphemy under Islam? Blasphemy is if you criticize Muhammad in any way, even even by saying he married a girl who's six years old, how can this happen? It's a fact. 
But if you say that, that is blasphemy. If I'm saying it in a Muslim world, I'll be killed. And the law under Sharia, in, in the Sharia, and I'm going to quote you the law, a Muslim will not be prosecuted for killing blasphemers and apostates. So what's a blasphemer? Anyone who says anything in a negative way, even if it's true. Even if it's true. So criticizing Muhammad for marrying a six-year-old girl, consummating the marriage at age nine, if you say it in a derogative way, and not in a very nice way, will be considered, and there are, there's a woman in Pakistan, and that's not an Arab country, who is under a death sentence, because her neighbors claimed that she said something bad about Muhammad. And she's a Christian. So that's the Sharia law about blasphemy. You have to be killed even if you repent. It's the only thing that's not, repentance is not acceptable if you criticize Muhammad. Yes, ma'am. There seems to be a lot of skeptics here, um, and I wanted to ask you know, to, to talk about um, Robert Spencer's Jihad Squad, which gives a daily chronicle of international yeah. events. Yeah, I mean, if you want to know a lot about what I'm talking about, go to Jihad Watch. There is a daily list, a list of actions by Muslim terror, beheadings, for, for nothing, for nothing of girls, Be, cutting limbs. I, we, we can't sit and isolate ourselves in America and then come and crucify Nani Darwish, the racist, in, in, in a college campus. It's really not healthy. It's denial of, of, of the truth. Yes, uh, the yeah, here, because she was too, and then, yeah. And the ones who didn't ask. Um, Hi, my name is Amber. I'm a reporter with Campus Reform. Hi. I was hoping you could speak to the double standard that exists on college campuses and the way that people can speak about Islam versus other religions. That's an excellent question. I have noticed that the media, even, such as the College campuses, the media, everybody is tippy-toeing around, around Islam like it is, it is blasphemy. You're treating me like you're applying the laws of blasphemy on me. And you're Americans. Americans are applying the laws of blasphemy and apostasy on me. This is, this is unbelievable. Who are the ones who are sympathetic to me? That I have a death sentence on me, believe it or not. Bible, the people who are Bible believers in America, those are the ones who sympathize with me. Regular folks in America. But the intellectuals, the liberals, oh, but you are insulting Islam and Muslims. Well, who said that a religion is above being questioned? Who made that law in America? We, 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 we put statues of Jesus and we put urine and we call it art. And nobody kills nobody over it. Since when is America 
this is going to happen. This is scary to me. I came running from Surya to America. I came running from Surya. I was oppressed. I was oppressed and beaten and humiliated under Islam. I'm embarrassed to say that, but that's the truth. And I thank the floor of America. I want to kiss it because it gave me dignity as a woman. And I'm speaking because I want to save you from making any ideology, not just Islam, above criticism. No ideology should be above criticism. I beg you consider that. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Hi, Ms. Darwish. Uh, thank you for your time this evening. Uh, my name is Harrison Newton. I'm a, a freshman in School of Foreign Service. Uh, I'll try to keep this question as short as possible. Uh, I, if I recall, uh, your answer to my friend Richard's question about using terror in the name of God was that uh, Jesus, during his life, uh, never used torture, which is correct. Uh, and so my question is, um, is that how do you reconcile your, your views of Islam uh, with what happened during Muhammad's lifetime? Uh, because if I recall correctly, uh, Karen Armstrong, in her book, A History of God, uh, describes how during the, uh, the Jalia period, or the pre-Islamic period, uh, Arabia had preserved ideals of polygamy and wives remained in their father's households. Uh, the majority of women during this time, before Muhammad, uh, were on par with slaves, with no political or human rights, uh, and female infanticide was common. Uh, women were among Muhammad's earliest converts, and their emancipation was a project that uh, was dear to Muhammad's heart. Uh, the Quran itself strictly forbids uh, the killing of female children and gives women the legal rights of inheritance and divorce. Uh, and Western women did not have these, these rights of divorce until well into the 19th century. Uh, Muhammad himself actually encouraged women to play an active uh, role in the affairs of the Oman. So my question is... <laughs> What's her name again? Uh, uh, Harrison Nugent. No. Oh, oh, sorry. Oh, I thought that's my name. Uh, Karen Johnson. Uh, she wrote the book. Uh, yeah. a history, sorry, Karen Armstrong. Armstrong. A history of God. I love it. Thank you for asking this question. This is so important because she's quoting what Muslim talks about itself. She doesn't talk about history, true history. Islam has convinced Muslims that they've liberated women and the other women. Do you know that there was a sheikh? on Egyptian TV recently, and you could look it up, by the way. It's all over the internet. And this chick was saying, we beat women because we are them. Proudly. So the idea of beating women does not come from honoring them under Islamic values. You see that? The, the, so when they say we honor women, and actually we can divorce men, and you can divorce men. You know why? You know why they can divorce men, uh, women? Because, uh, in fact, men have, uh, have the power only for divorce. But in some cases, wealthy families had girls and made a law during the, shari the writing of the contract of the marriage is if she's very wealthy from the contract that she can divorce him. But this happens in very rare cases. Under Islam, divorce is in the hands of the man, 100%. And it's very easy, by the way. He doesn't have to go to a, to a lawyer. He doesn't have to go to court. He doesn't have to go anywhere. He can just sit down and tell his wife three times, you're divorced. Very easy. Another thing about polygamy, when you have a, a society that accepts polygamy, there is no uh, 
community property under Islamic law. That's another thing that, I mean, I can tell you a lot. Uh, under the Bible, a man and a woman coming together, they become one flesh, right? They become one. What a value. Under Islam, it's not one man and one woman. And the meaning of marriage is one man and a harem. And a harem. That's it. And there is no loyalty. In the Muslim marriage contract, there is no loyalty from the man to the wife. Loyalty is expected only from the wife to the husband. But loyalty is not expected from the man because the contract, the marriage contract under Islam, clearly says, please name an address of wife number one, wife number two, and wife number three, if any. And guess what? She cannot divorce him if he has three other wives. Unless she's a millionaire, and during the marriage contract, she, she puts up. But that, that's very rare. I know. Thank you. It's been fun. So, um, no, actually. So this is from Paul's letter to the Romans. Uh, you said that. Uh, what? Paul? Yeah. So, you, so this is the New Testament, the one you yeah, like. Are you testing me in the Bible? I'm not that good. Well, yeah. So, so you said that. Uh, you said that the you said that Islam says that people are uh, subjects of, of their government. People are supposed to respond to their government. Whereas you said in the Bible, uh, the government responds to people. Isn't that what you said? No, I said it serves. Government serves people. Okay, citizens. So, so what? Paul, That's the ideal. So what Paul says is, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those authorities that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. So, when you say you don't, uh, when you say you don't know the Bible very well, and as you admitted to the woman who spoke earlier, uh, you haven't undergone any formal study of the Quran. And you're only, it seems like you're mostly using out of context quotes and yes. anecdotes from imams and things. How can you say you're, com you're offering an accurate comparison of, quote, biblical, aka New Testament, and Islamic values, when you don't seem to really be an expert on either, and you're only using anecdotal you evidence? You have to even pray for your leaders under, under biblical value. Pray for them. You, you, you don't just rebel and have a revolution against them, of course. Uh, there, it goes both ways, but he's not God. Under the Bible, he's not God. Your leader is not God. Uh, yeah, appoint everything is done by God. But he, this law, the law that he is like God, is immune from criticism. I'll explain to you a little bit more. Under Islamic law, Islamic sheikhs and leaders and Muhammad himself is immune from criticism, immune from sin. There's a sheikh in Egypt who came on TV one time and he said, if you see your sheikh commit adultery, don't say my sheikh committed adultery. Say that my eye saw him do a sin and it's me who, sinned, who has sinned. 
The look about authority in the Islamic world is totally different from the Bible. Totally. Authority. Do you see, do you see in Egypt, they kiss the hand of the leaders. Did you see all Saddam Hussein with his, with his, it's a very Islamic thing that we kiss the hand of the leader. It's, leaders are so powerful and they're immune from sin under Islam. It goes, everything is a matter of degree. There is, there is, there is. St. Paul says do not. Uh, all right, all right. Let's uh, listen back and forth, please. Um, we yeah, got the next question. There's other, uh, you know, yes. Uh, I would like to remind the audience to please be respectful to both the distinguished guest speaker and to mm -hmm. one another, even if we have strong feelings and disagree. Um, all right, questions, please. Uh, thanks, Peter, and uh, thank you, Mr. Ms. Darwish. I guess my question is, it's, I'm sorry, it's not very articulate, but I'm wondering if you think the American left and media has placed itself in a contradictory position with its support, overwhelming support of Islam, as well as trying to promote women's rights and gay rights. For instance, you get outrage about Christian bakeries refusing to bake for a gay wedding, but when the same thing happened in Dearborn, Michigan, crickets, crickets. and when... The poll shooting, yeah, shooting in Orlando, people tried to very de-emphasize the role radical Islamic beliefs held in that, but if that was an evangelical Christian, that would have been the front page news, was Christian Jews nightclub of gay men. That's a very good question, actually, it's right to the point. Actually, America is now divided between a pro-Islam, left far left, and a, an anti-Bible far left. And the rest of America. We are now fighting over Islam in America, unfortunately. The young lady, she was, she was asking a lot, but I didn't take her. Sorry, she... Hi, my name is Caroline. I'm a freshman in the college. Um, and in the beginning part of your speech, you talked about how every culture has good aspects and bad aspects. And I tend to agree personally with that statement, but it seems to me that you think that there's some fundamental, almost fatal flaws with like the Islamic culture and their values, and I was wondering if you could reconcile that for me. That's a very good question, because I'm, I, what I said was, no culture is void of goodness. There's a lot of goodness in, in Arab culture, where I grew up. There is a, there's safety, there's, people are, are scared of committing crimes because they can be badly treated, bad, physical. Uh, so there are some aspects of Arab culture that I like, family, life, you know, but it doesn't mean that it's, it's a culture that, that you can be happy in. Some cultures don't have any respect for life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. Human rights, not all cultures abide by values of human rights. In America, we try as much as we can. We're not perfect, but it's the closest we can get to values of human rights are in America. And by that, I mean the values. I don't mean that there are no people in America who violate the human rights of others because there's crime. Crime is violating human rights. But when the laws of the country don't respect human rights, that's a different story. There are laws in Islam that will accommodate our killing of birds. There are laws in Islam that will kill apostates. 
So being a Muslim is different from being a, a Christian. And being a Christian is just a choice between you and, and God. Being a Muslim is a contract with the state done at your birth. You're born, your birth certificate stamped Muslim in Islam. What does that mean? It means I am I have no right to reject Islam that the, the, the state chose it for me. And if I leave Islam at any point after that, I have to be executed. Do you think this is a good policy for human rights here? Religious right, freedom of speech? Yeah? Yeah, when, when you are killed for, for what does you, you're born in Islam. I was born, I was never given a, a question to ask like a bar mitzvah or something. Do you want to be a Jew or do you want to be a Christian or a baptism? No, I was never. I was born in it and my birth certificate was 10 Muslim. And if I questioned anything, I would be slapped on the face. It's not the family's choice. If I leave Islam, yeah, but if I leave Islam, now I left Islam, if I go back to visit my family there, I'll be killed. All right, um, we will now move on to the next and final question of the night. And then we'll move on to the book signing, yes. Um, so are there any more closing questions? And uh, Yeah. Hi. Um, yeah, I just, I just, I guess I'm wondering. I have a question that's pretty much for the room, since there seems to be a lot of quibbling over like verses here and there and all that. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm gonna be bold and ask: How many people here think it's okay that there is a fatwa, a warrant for Noni Darwish's death in 54 countries? How many people here think that's okay? Can I answer that? Uh, it's actually not legally uh, valid to kill people because they have um, uh, abandoned Islam in anything close to 54 countries that incorporate Sharia into yeah, some aspect of the law. Ideological, so, basically, uh, if you want to say Saudi Arabia, uh, right. Iran, fine. Seeing as there's no, seeing as there's, seeing as there's no question for the speaker, I've heard you engage in this conversation. I want to just tell you something about the, the trick about killing apostates. In Egypt, for instance, because Egypt wants to appear to the world that it's like a moderate country, they arrest them as having done a crime against the state, a political crime. They put them in jail, and they beat them, and they whip them, and they hang them upside down. And I know personally people that have this happened to them in Egypt. And, and then they release them to the family on the condition that they are going to go back to Islam, and if they don't, they just disappear. And then the police would say, we don't know, maybe they just uh, had a drug overdose and died. They never write it in the books of the, the, you know, the, you know, the laws. In, in America, for instance, when somebody dies, they write in their, their, their death, their death uh, whatever, papers, that they died because of that. In, in, in Egypt, they say they died because of uh, heart attack. And they were killed. Honor, do you think other killings in Egypt are all recorded in, by police? 
you don't record that. But I cannot dare go to Egypt, believe me. I cannot dare go to Egypt today. I'm guided to go. And I know I'd be killed on the street. And the police would say, we don't know who killed her. Maybe they robbed her. Maybe it's a robber. They won't say it was an honor killing for apostasy. Thank you. And Thank I will uh, Again, let's all thank Ms. Darwish for coming here and uh, discuss her personal journey and everyone else for engaging in meaningful dialogue. Uh, now stick around for the book time if you like over here to the right. Thank you.